Welcome back to Match Volume. I hope you all missed us as much as we missed making it. This is the interview-based podcast produced by student journalists, and with this new semester, we also have a new voice joining us. Hello, my name is Jeffrey. I'm a second-year student at USC Annenberg. In my experience at Annenberg, usually on the side, I'm a radio producer for Annenberg Radio News. Um, So radio is very similar to intertwined with podcasting. So I'm so happy to join Natalie on Match Volume. And I am so happy you're here, Jeffrey. And as he said, I am your old host, Natalie. Not sure how I feel about that word old, but I'll take it. Experienced. Experienced, seasoned veteran. There we go. I prefer that. And at the time of recording, we're actually experiencing some pretty crazy weather. I think we went from about 90 degrees to pouring rain and very chilly, uh, which is pretty insane to me, actually, as I have to walk from my apartment to campus every day. Yeah, at the time of recording, it is in the middle of February, which should be giving us winter weather. But it seems like climate change has straight up canceled out winter these days. Pretty much. And a lot of world powers are kind of trying to, you could say, backtrack um, our footprint and kind of improve upon that, like President Biden's emissions reduction plan. Have you heard about that? Absolutely not. But thankfully, I did look it up before this podcast episode (laughs) just to be prepared. It seems like President Biden signed an executive order with the main goal to be reducing greenhouse gas emissions by the United States to net zero by 2050. Well, climate change is everywhere. It's happening. And so our first interview of this episode is going to be with Alexandra Applegate. She interviewed uh, Somini Sengupta. Somini is an award-winning climate reporter for The New York Times and has worked in over 40 countries around the world. Let's see what Somini talked about uh, with President Biden's environmental policy. Here's Here's Somini Somini Sengupta. My name is Somini Sengupta. I'm the international climate correspondent for the New York Times. You have reported for more than 40 countries, including Bangladesh, the Philippines, the Congo, India, more. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about this fantastic career that you've had? I've been a journalist for a really long time. I've been a reporter the whole time. Um, I started out in um, at the Los Angeles Times, actually, at an internship program at the Los Angeles Times. And then I uh, moved to New York. I did a lot of local news coverage, first for Newsday and then for the New York Times. I went overseas for short-term assignments initially, and then I was the West Africa Bureau Chief um, covering more than a dozen countries in West and Central Africa. I went to cover the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2004, and um, then I went to uh, New Delhi as the first Indian American bureau chief for the New York Times South Asia Bureau. Uh, So I covered the region for about four and a half years, took a little sabbatical to write a book, and then when it was time to come back, back home to the United States, I um, covered, briefly covered Silicon Valley, which was really like another country to me. And uh, lately, right now, I've been um, reporting on climate change impacts around the world. So a very uh, gratifying um, and interesting career as a, as a reporter so far. So you covered climate change extensively um, at last year's uh, United Nations Global Conference on Climate Change, which I'm sure you know left many people and countries and leaders feeling very unsatisfied with the agreements that were made and the actions that were taken. President Biden has also tried to pass some pretty big climate change-related policies and has been largely unsuccessful in passing those um, in Congress. 
My question to you would be, where do we go from here when our leaders won't take the action that is necessary to really combat this issue? The thing to keep in mind when you think about these climate talks is this. On one side, there is indeed a great deal of frustration that the world is nowhere close to reducing the emissions of planet warming gases as fast as it needs to be done. We're nowhere close. By the same token, if you were to do a thought experiment and rewind to 2015, right before the Paris Agreement came together. So the world was on track to warm by nearly four degrees Celsius by 2100. That was the trajectory at the time. Where are we now? We're on track to warm by somewhere around 2.7 degrees Celsius if every country keeps its promises. That is movement. It is nowhere near the kind of movement that we need. 2.7 degrees of warming between now and the end of the century is still really, really devastating. Uh, But there is movement. Perhaps even more importantly, we are not on track to pony up the kind of money that especially poor countries say they need to adapt to the climate impacts that they're seeing already. That is a huge issue. One thing that is really notable is that in rich countries and in poor countries, there is such a generational divide, if you will, on on this issue. There is um, just a real upswell of anger among young people at the failure of their governments, their corporate leaders, to sufficiently address a crisis that is already affecting people now and is going to affect future generations much more acutely. And I I like that you mentioned young people and youth. Um, That kind of actually leads me to my next question. And Just reviewing some of the um, articles that you've written, things that you've published, uh, you've written a lot about youth around the world and um, how children kind of have to cope with some of the world's worst horrors and, and find their place in society, um, including in your book, the, the End of Karma, Hope and Fury Among India's Young. So I guess my question to you would be, what are some of the unique characteristics that you've seen in millennials and Gen Zers across the globe and, and how they fit into our society? That's a really big question. Yeah, I've been sort of interested in um, listening to young people for much of my career as a reporter. And on the issue of climate, it is really remarkable that youth climate activism is as robust and as widespread as it is. And it is one of the reasons, I'm convinced that it is one of the reasons why people in power are paying closer attention to it. Not just democratically elected leaders in in many countries, but also heads of companies heads of banks who are um, seeing the writing on the wall and seeing uh, many buyers of their products are interested in knowing what they're doing to address this problem, and also many of their employees, right? So in in many companies, you are seeing um, employees asking the hard questions. I spoke to some law students a while ago at various law schools who were essentially using the big private law firm recruitment days on their campuses to ask the hard questions of these law firms. How long are you going to continue 
to represent fossil fuel firms. You're seeing this really in many, many industries, um, this kind of push from, from young people. Does this action from younger generations like give you hope at all for, for the future of climate policy or even climate uh, change leadership in order to really make substantial change that could spare thousands of lives? I mean, you know, far be it for, for me to read the tea leaves about what's going to happen. I am surprised, like I said, that uh, this kind of activism um, has been so global and so sustained. What advice would you give to younger generations who want to make the world a better place but maybe don't know how to start? That's a really good question, and I get asked this all the time. What can an individual do in the face of a problem that's this big and this overwhelming? And I guess what I've learned from just my reporting is that the climate crisis kind of affects everything. So ask yourself, well, what am I interested in and what am I good at? You may be interested in um, art. You may be interested in engineering. You may be interested in writing. You may be interested in um, some other kind of storytelling. There are many ways to get involved in the issue of addressing climate change in the ways that you're able to and in the community that you, you live in. There are some groups, for example, that advocate for divesting from fossil fuel companies. Um, and they're pushing, for example, their, their universities or their pension funds to divest. There are other groups that are shareholder activist groups that are using their votes in shareholder meetings to get major companies to shift from fossils to to renewable energy. So there are farmers who are trying to figure out how to um, sequester carbon in the soil. There are entrepreneurs who are trying to figure out better livestock feeds that aren't as polluting. There are city planners and engineers trying to figure out how to make cities more resilient to climate change. There are people trying to figure out right here in California how to reuse and, and recycle water in ways that are more sustainable in a drier, hotter future. So what I'm trying to convey is there are so many ways that people can plug in. If you're trying to figure out who you're going to be in the world, you know, really the question is, who am I going to be in a hotter world? Who am I going to be in a climate-changed world? Mm -hmm. Kind of transitioning a little bit to uh, more of like the journalistic side of what you do. Obviously, you have to cover a lot of really horrible things. How do you keep going, or what gives you hope amongst all of this hopeless things that you have to encounter? Here's what I can tell you. There, there is really no scientific basis to just being in a state of despair. Right? Um, the future is not foretold. There are many pathways that are still available. The scientific consensus is very clear on this. The best way to avert the worst consequences of climate change is to reduce emissions by half by 2030. We, that way, the world as a whole reduces the likelihood of catastrophic climate consequences. So there are many ways to do that. There are many known ways to do that. So I think that's important to keep in mind, that there really is no scientific 
um, basis for simply despair. The other thing I think that's really important that I've learned, having covered all kinds of atrocities, is it's very important to keep in mind, why are you doing what you're doing? What's the purpose? What's the point of all this? And then to really be with your people, to really find people who share your values, who understand you, who enjoy doing some of the same things that you do, whether that's um, cooking a meal together or playing sports or going for a walk. Um, so I think those things are really, um, really important and really restorative for, for anyone. Probably eventually the majority of journalists will be climate journalists at some point. What advice would you have for young journalists who will eventually be covering some form of this crisis? First, I'm glad to hear you say that everyone may eventually become a climate reporter because here's the thing, if you're interested in reporting about sports, you will invariably face uh, climate impacts on sporting events. Uh, if you're interested in writing about the economy or businesses, uh, the impact of climate change, climate risks are one of the most pressing issues facing businesses and particularly those who finance businesses. If you're interested in covering politics, this is a huge issue in many democratic countries, including the United States. So even if you're not interested in environmental issues, even if you don't think about climate change all that much, if you're going to do journalism of any kind, it's a really good idea to understand some basic climate science, first of all, and um, just a basic understanding of climate policy. Understand how to read a scientific paper, how to ask questions, lots of questions. There is no such thing as a dumb question. So yeah, so take advantage of your, of your college years to really feel comfortable in understanding the science. And I think it's also really important, like we were saying before, to see climate stories in everyday, ordinary ways. So wherever you live, you know, whether that's here in Los Angeles or think about, you know, where you're from, try to think about climate stories there. Either how the problem of climate change is affecting people in in one place or who's doing something about it. And finally, the story of climate change is is really ultimately a story about people. So Try to, when you're you know, thinking about, about story ideas, thinking about how to tell a story, for me, it's really helpful to keep individuals at the, at the center of that, you know, to try and tell it through one person or through a group of people or through a family or through a community, you know, dealing with something. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I often think of climate as, you know, something very scientific, something very data-driven, which of course is true, but like you said, it's also a lot to do with people and how it's affecting the people. What would you say would be one of the most important things to, to remember starting out your career in journalism? Be curious. Be endlessly curious. Thank you so much. For Annenberg Media, I'm Alexandra Appleby. One of my biggest takeaways from the episode is I really love how Mrs. Sengupta said that we all have a part to play no matter what our skill sets are. And as a communications major, often questioning what I am doing in the field and <laughs> what my major even is, that's very heartening to hear. 
Yeah, it is nice. And I think it's really refreshing to hear a positive take on climate change. I feel like we can get caught up in like that nihilistic sense of like, there's nothing we can do, so we might as well just accept it. But that doesn't have to be the mindset all the time. I mean, you can accept that, yeah, the impact that we've had is terrible and it, it seems really overwhelming. But honestly, like if we come together and try and do something, it's a lot better than just sitting back and accepting our fate. Oh, 100%. And that's also why, on the topic of optimism, I'm so happy that Alexander asked how Miss Gupta deals with writing about depressing stories so much of the time. As a journalist and a human being often embroiled around toxic Twitter a lot of the time, uh, and using Twitter as my main news source, I've often wondered the same thing. And I think I've taken away a couple things that could uh, help me out in the future. Yeah, you are truly our strongest soldier if Twitter <laughs> is your main source of news, because you want to get sucked into a black hole of despair. That certainly is the way to do it. And that's all for this week's episode. Tune in next Friday for more Match Volume, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Media. This show is a production of Annenberg Media and is produced by Shi Hong Zhang. See you next week.